Well, good evening. Uh, if you're new, my name's Ryan. Uh, good to be with you. Welcome to Awakening. We're in this series called Dreaming Wide Awake, Embracing a God-Sized Vision for Your Life. It's part three, uh, six total parts out of the book of Nehemiah. Uh, part one is really how to really begin to discover or have a God-sized vision really birthed out of your heart. Uh, like I said it, it, it begins when you begin to uh, ask the question of what should be in light of what currently is. What problem has gripped your heart, my heart? And it's developed by desperately seeking the heart of God. We've been praying as a community uh, this prayer, Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. Hopefully, uh, you, you've been journeying and praying that with us. And tonight, we're actually going to move into the application. Last week, we talked really all about prayer and how prayer is the preparation and paves the way for God to work. And that you, what Jay said, is you don't use prayer as a last resort, but as a launching point. And I, if I'm really honest, uh, about a week and a half ago, I had this, this thought come into my mind. It was one of those thoughts that I was like, oh, that's a quick tweet, and people might think I'm really spiritual, you know? And I was convicted, you know, it's really easy to sound spiritual in 140 characters, but it's a lot harder to live spiritually in 140 minutes. And here's the thought, and the reason I didn't, like, shoot it out was because I realized God had deeper work in me first. And, and the question as we've been going uh, through and talking about this series was, uh, what would it look like if the church actually believed it was most productive when it prayed? I mean, what might happen? What, what might we see if the church, and I'm not just talking about our church, I'm talking about the church at large, the church in America, church worldwide, that if we believe we're most effective, that the greatest amount of impact happened when we were on our knees before God, desperately seeking his heart. And a couple times I wanted to pull out my phone. I'm like, oh, that'd be good, you know. And it's almost like one of those zingers, you know, out there. And then the still voice of God is like, you know, Ingram, I wonder what might happen if you really believed that you were most productive when you pray. Not when you preach, when you pray. Not when you plan, when you pray. Not having all these other things. And I was like, well, okay, that's... It's a little too convicting, God. Tonight, there will be a theme, but the theme is let's do something about it. See, as Christians, we're really good at talking. We're even better if you read online at debating and arguing with other Christians, which I don't get. What, what if we just actually prayed? So what I want to do is a little activity with you, if you wouldn't mind, that we would begin this part of the sermon and we pray. 
but that we would collectively, if you're able, get on your knees with me and, and pray, that we would actually believe and act as a church that, that as we gather, the most productive moment in this time is, is us as a church seeking the heart of God on our knees, seeking him. So if, if you would, if you would get down on your knees with me, if you can, I know some are unable and that's okay, but if you're willing... And let's pray. Let's stop talking about what we're going to do or nice ideas. Let's just start doing them, church. And if we really believe prayer is effective and powerful, well, we should be doing a whole lot more of it. I'm going to lead you in a few things just to pray about. And you can either pray in the quiet of your heart. You're welcome to pray out loud however you see fit, and there can be lots of voices going at once. That's okay. God hears everything. But first, may we just start with the posture of our heart and simply confess to him. It may be a confession of need. It may be a confession of of doubt. It may be a confession of deep sorrow or Confession of sin and resistance. Would you pray for this school? We're meeting at Delmar High School. Tomorrow, thousands of kids and faculty will meet here. Will we pray for the faculty and staff and teachers and pray for the students that a revival would happen on this campus, that these students would experience the grace and love of Jesus? These teachers would experience an awakening to new life. Let's move in in your sphere of influence. Some of you are students and you go to Santa Clara, San Jose, all the different other colleges, West Valley, whatnot. Would you begin, if you're a student, to begin to pray for your campus? If if you have a place of work, would you begin to pray for that specifically, that God would do a powerful work there. Maybe it's your neighborhood and you just need to pray for your neighborhood. It might be a family member who doesn't know Jesus, that you would pray for their salvation. Would you pray for other churches in the area? We're all one church. See a revival, see an awakening happen. It's a, it's a movement of the church of God, not just one church. Pray for churches like Westgate and Venture and uh, South Bay and New Church Plan, um, Garden something, Garden City and C3 Church. And, and you may know of other churches and other pastors that you would pray that the hand of God would move on them and they would see uh, a mighty work of his power in their midst, that they would be encouraged and they would, the, the unleashing of his love would be through their communities. Would you just pray for our city? San Jose and all the needs that come with our city and the homeless and the 
human trafficking and uh, all the financial and all that kind of, that you would just pray for our city and Santa Clara County and that there would be a movement of God here in our midst. The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the whole earth, searching for a heart that's fully His, that He might strongly support them. God, we ask that as your eyes search, that you would come across us as we position ourselves on our knees in humility before you and say, God, our hearts are yours. We long to be used by you. We long to see you do what we cannot. God, we confess that, or I confess that, that I don't care much about others. I care more about my comfort, and I'm sorry. that I I don't love my city enough. God, would you break our hearts for the city and the needs and what's going on here? God, would you break our hearts for the people that we walk past every day whose eternity is in the balance and we just walk past and ignore? God, would you break our hearts for the lost and the lonely, those hurting and those people that we don't even like, like to see? God, would you break our hearts for the kids that are stuck in hard places and abusive situations and who are orphaned and alone. God, break our hearts that this week we would begin to see the way you see. Our hearts would begin to beat the way you beat to the point that we can't help but respond, that doing nothing would not be okay anymore. Would you make us a church Not that just prays, but a church of prayer that desperately seeks your heart. And would you unleash your hand of movement and power on this city that hundreds of thousands of people would come to know you, that this city would be reached in the name and the power of Jesus for your name's sake and your glory and your renown in his name. Amen. said there was a theme, and the theme tonight, and I want to be clear with you, is my goal is I have an agenda for tonight. I just want to be up front. My agenda is that every single person in here would take the next step. Because I, I, I see this danger. We're, we're in this passage and we're dreaming, talking about dreaming wide awake and embracing a God-sized vision. And, and, and the greatest thing that I think would happen that would be so tragic is if we just hear this and do nothing. You know what James 1.22 says? Any, anybody? What is it? No, that's a, good, that's a good one in James, but that's James 2. Um, He who listens to the word, but does not do what it says, 
deceives himself. See, I long for us to be a church. Sorry, it doesn't matter what I long. God longs for us to be a church of doers, not just hearers. And the danger is we're our great hearers, but it's uncomfortable to be a doer. And he says, if you do nothing, you are in danger of being deceived. See, you can show up here Sunday nights and get your God fixed and do nothing and walk away and think it's okay. That's what James 1.22 says. Do not merely listen to the word, but do what it says. So I, I just got to, I wanted to be up front. That is my agenda, that we would be doers tonight. I want to give clear application for you what the next step is. Because it is useless. In fact, I, I thought about this as I was thinking, I thought maybe, maybe I just teach this message over and over until we become doers. <laughs> And I wondered, I'm like, I wonder how many times I'd have to teach the same message until we started to get it. See, we, we, I was running earlier this week and I was just going, God, God, what is it for us? And it's to move us, 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 here, us, from apathy to action. from just going through the motions to living out the grand story of God in our lives. That's that's the goal. That's dreaming wide awake. That's the invitation tonight. That's the call. As we dive in, if you got your notes, pull them out. I'm going to have to go quick. I want to give two foundational points to dreaming wide awake. And then we'll dive into the text. Tonight we want to ask the question, how do you, how does a God-sized vision move from dream to reality? If you've been journeying, and I just kind of ask this and get real honest, how many of you have been praying with us, Lord, break my heart for the things that break you? Go ahead, raise your hand so I can see you now. Okay, first action step, by the way. Because I want a little depressed by how few hands. That's if you're out there, we got cards in the back. Grab the card, just start praying that prayer. Have the courage to start praying that prayer. That's your next action step. Those of us who've been praying that prayer, God has been doing something deep inside of us and beginning to birth a vision in our lives that are bigger than us. And then the question is, well, well, how do you see it move from dream to reality? So before we dive in there. A God-sized vision, you just need to know about a God-sized vision. A God-sized vision has God at the center of it. This is just kind of foundational points of this. A God-sized vision has God at the center of it. It's not about you. If you end up in your mind when you think about having a God-sized vision where you at the end of the story are the hero of the story, it is not a God-sized vision. It is you vision. It's, what, it's about you. God says, no, 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 it is all about me. If you got your Bibles real quick, just open to Colossians 1, 15. I love this passage. It's talking about the supremacy, the exaltedness, the first placeness of Christ. 
115 says, He is, speaking of Jesus, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. Did you catch that? All things were created by him and for him. God's size vision has Jesus at the center. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And then he's speaking to us, the church, and he is the head of the body, the church. That means he's the boss. What he says is what we should do. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy, the first place. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile, to make right. To himself, all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. First thing you need to understand in the God-sized vision is it has God at the center of it. It's all about him. Second thing, a God-sized vision is impossible to accomplish without God. Because if you think you can do it, either you're dreaming too small or you're just deluded. It's impossible to accomplish without God. At the end of the day, a God-sized vision should bring us into such a relationship with him where we watch him show up and watch him work as we step out and respond to him. A God-sized vision is absolutely impossible to accomplish without God. I love, as we've been praying this prayer as a family, uh, I love and the impact it's having on us. As my wife was sitting, uh, putting my daughter to bed, I think it was like Wednesday night, and they're just, those are some of the sweetest times uh, of just kind of sitting and talking with your kids as they're going to bed and, and praying with them. And it's in those still moments that they begin to share the stuff that's on their heart. And Jenny was in there quite a while th- this night, and she comes out just crying. And you know what my daughter just began to express? Because God began to put something on her heart, that had God at the center of it and was way impossible, especially for an eight-year-old, but anyone. My daughter just began to cry and weep and put a huge burden on her heart. She's like, Mommy, I don't want any kid to not have a mommy or daddy. And it just broke her heart. Like, it broke her heart. I want to figure out how to get every kid who doesn't have a mommy or daddy to to a mommy or daddy. I I hate that there's orphanages there. How do we do that? You see, here's an eight-year-old. An eight-year-old that's dreaming wide awake, that's embracing a God-sized vision. And what's interesting is that God-sized vision is trickling from her eight-year-old little heart and mind to us See, that's what happens when you begin dreaming wide awake. It invites others into it, and it's powerful, and it's contagious, and it's infectious. And and just an eight-year-old little girl, and what she can do is when she begins to dream and begins to say, I want to do something, we're like, okay, let's figure out. And Jenny's looking up. She's been looking up, trying to figure out, you know, what are orphanages or whatever we have here, because we don't really do orphanages in the States. We do foster care. So, So what can we do about that? And what about, you know, my heart's thinking global, like, I want to take her because I get to go visit orphanages a lot of times. I want to take her with me. And how do we actually begin to do something as a family that is dreaming wide awake? 
And it all began because one little girl had the courage to share and let her heart break by the things that break the heart of God. Now, don't any of you go to her and go, now you know you actually can't do anything about that, right? That's what happens. Somebody says, you know, you begin to share it out loud, and somebody says, yeah, yeah, that's not going to happen. Right? Yeah, everyone, you know, and, and if you had a parent who did this, you share this big dream about your life, and it may not even be about God, it's just this big dream, and what is, like, and it's some, sometimes out of wisdom, but they say, how? Don't they? Visions get killed with how, don't they? I didn't go to Allah in that moment. Well, well, I know you really want to make sure that every kid has a mommy and daddy on the face of the planet. That's a pretty big dream. Well, how are you going to do that? Is that really realistic? You know what we did? Wow. Wow. See, because God's eye vision has God at the center of it, and it's impossible without God, so why should I think we know how to do it all anyways? But wow, I'm so glad God put that on your heart, and let's start moving together. What if as you began to share with the dreams in your heart, instead of killing it with how, you just began to respond with wow? And you just went, wow. I don't know how it's all going to work, but, but I'm amazed by what God's doing. So how, then, does a God-sized vision move from dream to reality, from just simply an emotion, from a tugging and a prompting to actually seeing God do what we cannot in and through us? We've been journeying through this book, Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, and if you got it, open it up. We'll be in chapter 2 tonight. And we're going to dive in again. A little background on Nehemiah. He was a cupbearer to the king of Persia, which was the highest rank that any foreigner could hold in the land. It was really the council uh, to the king. Uh, he was cupbearer, but he was an exile from his hometown, uh, Jerusalem, though he had most likely never been there. Uh, he grew up and was born in captivity and, and was raised in uh, in Persia. And yet, what happened was his brother came to him and had just visited Jerusalem, and he asked two questions. He asked about the people of God. How are the people of God doing? And how's the place of God? How's Jerusalem? And they gave him a bad report. And this bad report, rather than just allowing it to go, well, it sucks for them, I have this great job. I'm in a great place. I get to have the ear of the king. Everything's really good for me. So, you know, I, I wish you well. And we kind of let those things, and we hear the stuff, and it just bounces off our souls oftentimes, doesn't it, like BBs on a tank. Instead of allowing it just to bounce off, he grieved. And it says he actually wept for many days and prayed and fasted. That many days was actually a sum total of about four months. As he heard this news, he was gripped by a God-sized vision, prayed, Desperately seeking the heart of God. And then it came a point in time where that dream needed to become reality. And you actually see it in the text here. If you dive in with me, chapter 2, verse 1. 
In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. Well, and the reason is because if he was sad, that was actually a good way to get fired or lose your life. You were just always to be happy in the king's presence. That was actually a law. Why does your face, though, the king asks, look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of the heart. Notice that there's something that Nehemiah couldn't hold back. There's something weighing on him so heavy that even in the king's presence, he couldn't lift his face and pretend any longer. I love the next line. I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? He explains the problem. What gripped his heart. The king said to me, what is it, what is it that you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, well, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? Please the king to send me. So I said it's time. And then I love this next line. This is great. Because he's like, all of a sudden got boldness. You know, he's afraid. And then all I said, I also said to him, you know, like, well, if you're going to say yes to there, here we go. <laughs> if it pleases the king, may I, may I have letters to the governors of the trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct, uh, conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's force, so that he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And then this great line, and because, and because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my request. So I went to the governors of the trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. He's like, the king gave above and beyond what he asked. How does a God-sized vision move from simply a dream to reality? Sum it up in one, one single sentence. A God-sized vision always begins with a single step of obedience. A God-sized vision always begins. It is the starting point with a single step of obedience. You know what obedience is? Obedience is simply doing what you know you're called to do. That's it. Doing what you know you're called to do. It's two, two different ways, right? Obedience is one. You know you're called, those of us followers of Christ, you're called, there's commands to obey. Obey God's revealed will. We know we're called to respond and live in, certain, in such a way. And yet at the same time, there's things that God puts on your heart and you know you're called to do it. There's weight, weighty things. There's conversations that you go, I, I was really, I'm really supposed to talk to that friend. I'm actually supposed to go here. And you, and you know that if you don't, it's actually not just, oh, I didn't really do it, it's disobedience. Because you're not doing what God has called you to. See, God-sized vision always begins with a single step of obedience. Let me give you four observations about taking a step of obedience uh, that we see here with Nehemiah that I think will help us, I hope, help us move from this apathy to action to actually stepping and walking in obedience with God where we begin to see him show up and do in and through us as a community what we could not do on our own. First, 
taking a step of obedience isn't about being fearless, but how you respond to fear. First observation, it's not about being fearless, but actually how you respond to fear. So oftentimes, we think, I'll actually move when I'm not afraid. See, the thing that kills a God-sized vision isn't fear, but how you respond to fear. And we go, well, when I finally have the courage, having the courage means I won't have fear. No, 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 no. It's how you respond to the fear. Did you notice the text there in verse 3? I was very much afraid. See, it's, it's the, uh, was it the conjunction there? Yeah. That makes all the difference. I was very much afraid, but... It's not the presence of fear, but how you respond to fear that makes all the difference in how you obey. When you know you're called to do it, you go, okay, it may be, uh, I'm, I'm afraid, but this is what I'm called to do. I'll do it no matter what. See, the way our stories or narratives or our lives often read is this way. I was very much afraid and. I was very much afraid and so I ran away. I was very much afraid, and so I gave up. I was very much afraid, and so I, I gave in. I was very much afraid, and I just quit. See, taking step of obedience isn't so much about being fearless, but about how you respond, where you say, I was very much afraid, but. But I stepped forward in the face of fear because I was called to do it. That's why that praying, that prayer is so important because you get the conviction on your soul of what you're called to do. And you go, okay, no matter what, we're going to do it because we, we want to follow God and his call. Where you begin to fear more about being outside the will of God than anything else. Second observation. Taking a step of obedience means having the courage to act rather than avoid. This is just simply the flip side of the coin of the first. Having the courage to act rather than avoid. See, there comes the point in time for you and I where we stop talking, we stop saying, well, this is a nice idea, or someday, one day, when I grow up, yada, yada, yada. And we just say, today. Comes at a point in time where you say, Today I'm going to take a step of obedience. Where I have the courage to act rather than simply avoid. And we're really good at avoiding stuff. Really good at pushing it off on someone else. Really good at saying, that, Hey, this is not my deal. I, I remember when we were in Chicago, or when I was in Chicago, it was about 12 years ago, 13 years ago when I was in college. And God began to birth a dream for the college students in the area. There's nothing going on for them. But I was in college. I was going to the school called Moody. And I shared it with a guy that led worship. And he got excited about it and said, man, we'd love to get behind it. I think you're the guy. (laughs) What do you mean? And he shared it to the elders of the church. And it was a good-sized church. And they said, we'd love to do it. We'll fund it. You find a place. We'll pay for it, and you get it figured out, we're, we'll fund it. Like that got me excited, and then, and then I began to share it with a few friends and looked up, and we're sitting around this kind of board table with 12 other college students that said, all right, let's do this. 
I walked away from that meeting and I was gripped with fear. I remember the night clearly. I was so afraid of failure. I was so afraid of the unknown. I was so afraid that I, I couldn't live up or do. And so in that moment, instead of a but, there was an and. And so I walked away. I, I always wonder. I, I mean, I look back and I just wonder what might have been, what could have been in that moment, what God would have wanted to do through this band of few that believed that he could do what others said could not be done. And it was actually after that that I began with the conviction of, I don't ever want to live that way again. I don't want to look back on my life and wonder what if and live with a bunch of ants. Well, I have the courage to act even when I'm afraid. Just think about it. Do you ever just think about the text here? And if that but wasn't there, if he didn't have the courage to move on, because he could have answered the king and he could have said to him, he's like, yeah, it's, it's no big deal. I'm so sorry. I, let, let, let me go kind of wipe off my face. And, I, you know, he could have avoided the whole thing. He could have stepped out and, and went his own way. And just think about it. We wouldn't be talking about it almost two and a half centuries later. And what you don't know is that he actually ended up preparing the way for Christ to come because at that time, Jerusalem was in shambles. There was no real city or province going on for them. And he went and restored order. And the people of God began to gather back to the city of God. And 400 years later, Christ came. He had no idea what that but meant. Taking a step of obedience isn't about being fearless, but how you respond to fear. It's having the courage to act rather than avoid. Third observation involves being prepared with a plan. Do you notice verse 4? Verse 4 said, Then the king said to me, What is it you want? What is it that you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, which is this amazing tension. I love this, by the way. Don't miss this. That he's standing in the presence of the king of the earth and the most powerful man on the planet. And he recognizes that there is another king that is present there, the king of the universe. And he says, in a quick moment, I'm going to pray to the king of the universe before I answer the king of this earth. Really, don't miss that. Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. I mean, as God begins to birth a vision and dream in your heart, if the king, God or man, said to you, what is it that you want, would you be able to answer him? A, a wise, a good answer, a well-thought-out plan. Did you notice he had this amazing plan? And he also, he was like, I also said to him, and he had this list of realizing he's going to need timber. He's going to need safe passage. There's, there's enemies that are exploiting the people of God. He's going to need protection. 
He, he had thought about it. He went in not knowing whether it was going to work, but he had thought through a plan and prepared. I, I love what Andy Stanley says. Pray for opportunities and plan as if you expect God to answer them. What if you actually began to pray for opportunities to impact your campus and you began to plan as if God was actually going to do it? If you prayed for opportunities to impact your neighborhood or your workplace or, or friends and you actually planned, see, God may answer your prayer, but you, if someone came up to you and said, hey, I'd love to hear about this Jesus. I desperately need him. And you're like, oh, no. Good. there's this thing called gospel. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but I heard a preacher talk, and it's like good news, and somehow Jesus, and um, why don't you come meet my pastor? See, the thing for us, for Jenny and I, the birthing of this dream for our girl is we immediately started searching online and figuring out, okay, how do we start doing this? What would be our plan? How do we start here? And could this be the dream? What could this be the God-sized vision for our family to impact orphans? I know that's on the heart of God. To say something ridiculous like, what would it look like if we eradicated foster care because the Christian community here stood up and reached out and loved kids? Why don't we dream like that, and why don't we start planning as if God is going to show up? In this, you have to clarify what only God can do and what only you can do. You have to clarify what only God can do and what only you can do. Uh, this chart I use quite a bit. Because I often end up, and maybe you do too, trying to do what only God can do, and I'm super stressed out, and then failing to do what I should be doing. So this chart, I remember my buddy just outlined it to me in a Starbucks on a napkin. He wrote out, he's like, Ryan, you got to ask the question, what is it only God can do? And on the other side, you have, what is it only I can do? And in the middle is stuff I don't know. i got to tell you, as the older I get, the longer that list gets, stuff I don't know. Just take Nehemiah, for example. What is it only God could do? Only God could give favor to Nehemiah before the king. What is it only he could do? He could go before the king. Nehemiah could only, God could only change the king's mind. You know in the text that what he was asking for, Nehemiah, was something the king about 20 years had stopped. The rebuilding of Jerusalem, he had totally stopped. Because the, the people in the land that uh, you'll read about them next week that were opposing the Jewish people were pretty powerful, had the king's ear. And they said, hey, you know what? Squash this thing. They're trying to rebuild the walls. So Nehemiah is after something. The king had stopped. Others had tried and failed. And he was, to do it, he was going to lose his life. And he moved forward anyways. He said, only God can change the king's mind. What he could do is ask boldly. And, and uh, one of the things, this is a little side note, because I think so oftentimes Christians are simple and not shrewd. And we, we think we got to be simple, well, all shucks. Jesus said to be shrewd as serpent and as innocent as doves. Do you notice Nehemiah? He never once, knowing that the king had already rejected this concept, never once mentioned the city Jerusalem. He was shrewd. When he went about it, he had a plan. He was strategic in the way he went about it. He, notice it, two times he mentions it, uh, the city in Judah where my fathers are buried. 
You're shrewd. What if we were a little bit shrewder and less simple? Nehemiah, what was the only God could do? God could only supply what he needs. He, Nehemiah, could prepare and plan as if God is going to answer his prayer. You. How about you? Well, me. God can only save. We can share. God can only heal. We can love. Fourth observation. Taking a step of obedience positions you to experience the power of God. You will not experience the power of God until you take a step of obedience into what he's called you to do. It's just the way he works. So many of us are saying, God, when you show up, then I'll step out. And you're waiting, okay, God, if you show up, then I'll step out over here. And he says, no, no, you step out and I'll show up. See, most of us don't experience the power of God because we're out of position. We're disobedient. Did you notice, was it verse 8, at the end of verse 8? And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my request. You know how Nehemiah knew the gracious hand of his God was upon him? Because he stepped out in boldness with the risking of his life, asking a ridiculous thing that the king had already squelched and said, I'm going to do it anyways. And you know when he found out the gracious hand of God was on him? When the king answered his request. Not before. And a lot of times what holds us back is you're waiting for the before. You notice that's the way God works all throughout Scripture and all throughout history and all throughout now. You know, the Israelites moving into the promised land. It wasn't until they took a step into the Jordan that the water stopped. They had to actually move towards rushing flood stage waters, and then the water stopped when they stepped into the water. They could have been standing on the sideline the whole time waiting, okay, God, when you stop the waters, when you stop the waters, we're going to go. It makes sense. You know what? I'm being wise. Stop the waters. I'll go. He said, no, no, no. Step into the water. I'll stop it. We move on to Jericho. They're walking around the city. He says, I'm going to give you this city. I said, well, what do you want us to do? We're, we got our swords and spears. I said, take a walk. Seven days. Seventh day, walk seven times. And it wasn't until the seventh time on the seventh day that the walls fell down. You just need to know, that's how God's work. You will not experience the power of God until you step into obedience. Let me just share a little bit of a little, little bit of our story. Two years ago, today, well, around this time, January, I looked up at Jenny. And I, I said, you know, Jenny, I think it's time for us to move on from Westgate. Westgate is a church that worked at, an amazing church. It's time for us to transition on. Been there at that time four years and she looked at me and she said, yeah, I, I had the same sense. And it was kind of big because I had a great job and a great church and great people. There was nothing going on. It's just like, it's time to move on. It's just a sense God's put on our hearts. 
And so the first few months were exciting. You're like, okay, well, what is it, God? You know, and we're kind of praying with this expectation. I'm like, God, unveil this plan. You know, I'm, I'm yours, you know. And he was silent. About month four, I was getting frustrated with God. I'm like, God, if you just show me this big plan, I'm, I mean, I'm all yours. We'll go. And I was, I think, almost like trying to manipulate God, like trying to say the right things. I don't know if you've ever done that. I'll go wherever you want me to go. But maybe I didn't really want to go anywhere at all. You know. And it's silent. And then this tension began to build up because I was clear on what the next step was. It was time to transition from where I'd been and what it meant was leaving a church that I love and what it meant was leaving a ministry that my wife and I got to start from the beginning and build and people I love. And I don't want to do that, God. And God was real clear. It wasn't like some audible voice, but it was just as clear as day. He said, the next step is for you to go to Steve, who's my boss, mentor, friend, and let him know it's time to transition. It's like, so God, hang on a second. You used to make really good plans back in the day, but this is not a very good plan. You want me to go to my boss, tell him it's time to transition. I, I'm, not, I'm not searching for jobs. I wasn't looking for jobs. I have no other thing I'm planning on doing. So I'm going to say it's time to go, but I don't have a backup plan. That's, that's a bad idea, God. And what was interesting is I said, no, no, you want to see the whole plan. I'm inviting you to take the next step. So oftentimes we hold back from God because we want to see the whole plan. He's like, no, no, just take the next step. You think about Abraham. That's how he led him. Abraham, God said to him, go to the land. And then normally there's like a name after that, right? Go to the land of California. And God's like, go to the land, I'll show you. Just start following me. And so I said, okay, God. Okay. See, it was clear to me that if we didn't say okay, I would be living in disobedience and walking away from my God. And I couldn't do that. I was very much afraid. Three kids, not, not knowing how to supply or support them. We, Jenny and I joked that we'd be homeless by Christmas. Go to Steve. And I go, Steve, you know what? He asked me, he told me when it's time to let you know. I just want to let you know. It's time for me to transition on from Westgate. I, I don't know what's next. I haven't figured out any of that, but I just I need to let you know. And in his classic Texan accent, he said, well, shoot. Why don't we launch Awakening as a church? got to understand, we're here just simply because of obedience, not because of any great thing. Just obedience. And my wife and I got to see God show up and provide. 
where we thought we were going to be homeless, we saw uh, a church get planted and launched. We saw other churches join in and other people join in and, and, and hearts unite with this common vision. Something that wasn't even in our realm of possibility or dreams that we could even imagine. This is well beyond what we ever thought we'd be a part of and it's so exciting and so fun and it's the thrill of faith of obeying God and just taking those moments where you go, God, I don't understand it. I don't know how it all works but I'm just gonna obey you in this moment. And it positioned our life to experience the power of God. And man, is it fun. So let me ask you. What step of obedience do you need to take? Remember, I said I wanted to be clear. What step of obedience do you need to take now? Maybe three things. First, maybe it's a, you need to take a step forward. You need to start something. A step. Maybe you're here and you, you don't have a relationship with Christ and you need to step into a relationship with Christ and receive the free gift of life that he offers. And you need to talk to someone afterwards tonight about that. Maybe you need to take a step and on moving on your God-sized vision. You need to start that. God's birthed it, and you just need to take the next step. Maybe you need to begin to actually plan and prepare and that God is going to show up. Maybe you need to step in actually leading your family or your community or your home where you're at. Maybe it's a step backwards. There's, the first is something to start. The second is something to stop. That the path you're headed down right now is not right. You're going the wrong way. You need to repent. Repent literally means to stop dead in your tracks and turn around and go the other way. That the path and the way you're walking, you're saying, God bless me, but you're walking away from God. He's saying, I can't do that as you're walking away. So there's some things that you need to stop and you need to get right with God. Maybe there's something you need to step backwards on to stop. Maybe it's a relationship that doesn't honor God. If you're single, maybe it might be a dating relationship that doesn't honor God. If you're married, maybe it's a relationship that doesn't honor God outside your marriage, at office or around the neighborhood. That is that kind of, you're, you're flirting. Maybe it's a sin, a habitual sin that just is captivated and you, you need to confess and you need to get clean. You need to talk. You need to take a step where you go, you know what? I long for freedom and he, Jesus came to bring freedom to your life and to your soul and where you actually go, you know what? Today it stops. I'm starting a new path and a new journey and I'm going to invite others in. I'm going to not allow it to rip me apart anymore. Maybe for you guys, maybe it's porn where you just say no more. Where the men of this church rise up and begin to be men. Stop acting like boys. Maybe for us, you gals, you go, you know what, my words just flutter, and I love the gossip, and I say, you know more, the pride. Maybe you've just been going along, you've been swept up with things, and it might be at work or friends, and you just go along with, and there's a, there's a stopping where you begin to step backwards and go, you know what, I have convictions that I'm going to hold that I've previously been given into. And maybe for some, it's a step up. 
Stepping up is simply obeying what you already know God is asking you. His clear, revealed will for your life. Things like giving sacrificially of your time and money. Loving your neighbors as yourself. And actually looking around at your neighborhood and saying, how would I want to be loved and treated? And you go, do that. Maybe it's forgiving someone who hurts you deeply or having the humility to ask for forgiveness. Maybe speaking the truth and love to a friend or righting a wrong. What step of obedience do you need to take? And I'm going to invite the band to come up. Here's what I want to do. Because I want this to solidify. Because I'm tired. I don't want us to just simply talk about this. I want us to do this. So if you find yourself in a place where as I read that, or maybe it was something else, where you need to step forward, you need to start something this week, and you're committed to doing it, would you stand up? And if you need to step backwards, you need to stop something, and you're committed this week, I am going to stop. Would you stand up and declare, I am committed to starting or stopping Maybe some need to step up. And if you would just stand as making this declaration here and say, I am committed from this day. I'm starting, I'm stopping, I'm stepping up. And make that commitment before God and us. And this week, be different. Let me pray for you. don't stand if you're not ready to to do something this week. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray that you would give them grace. The ability to follow through on what they've committed to you in this moment. I ask that they would experience your presence powerfully, that you would guard and protect them in the name of Christ, and that you would use us to impact and reach this generation. Use this church to reshape the city in your name. That we would be a people who simply respond to your call on our life. In Jesus' name.